Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Good morning, church. Turn with your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation. What great prayer and worship to ready us for the Word of God this morning. We'll begin Revelation chapter 2, but by way of beginning, I want to confess uh, you will not get the normal depth that this congregation is used to Uh, from this pulpit when our pastor preaches because this morning I will not be taking uh, as much as a zoomed in view as I will a zoomed out view of the scriptures I want to cover this morning. And I want to cover, and I do that to cover this topic, what is a biblical local church? What are the characteristics of a biblical local church? And therefore, what are the characteristics of its members? So that's what I want to think about and talk about today. And you must know that we will only be able to scratch the surface of that this morning. My prayer is that you will do more thought on this and more study and more prayer and more diving into the Word of God. For in the Bible, there are many uh, metaphors used in the New Testament and the Old to describe the local church. Um, A body, a family, a temple... A priesthood, a nation, and this morning we'll think more about that as the church as an embassy. There's so many ways, the bride of Christ, that um, the New Testament used to describe the local church. Um, And we will just scratch the surface of that this morning. But I do want to do that, and the way I want to do that is I want to look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And you said all seven, all seven. Uh, However, that's why I said it's going to be a zoomed out view, not so much a zoomed in view. As uh, I dare and hope to see the characteristics that those churches have in common. And then to ask ourselves, do we have that in common with them? And then us as individual bodies of Christ here at Mainsville Baptist Church, do you have that? Do I have that? Are we part of that church? And these seven churches are really divided into three groups. Um, The first church and the last church are in great danger. The first church and the last church are on the edge of, uh, we're going to see in a minute, Jesus coming and taking their lampstand away. Uh, They're on the edge of not being a church at all. Um, In the middle, the three in the middle are in great danger. They have compromised. They look more like the pagan world outside than Jesus. Uh, That's how their churches are going, and they're in great danger. There are only two healthy churches in the seven, and they correspond to one another, and uh, they are definitely the minority. And John couples these seven churches in a literary form called a chiasm. And it kind of goes like this. If you uh, have ever noticed in the book of Genesis, the seven days of creation, especially the first six, are the same literary form. Uh, In the first three days, God creates uh, the heavens. He creates the land and the air and the sea. And then the next three days, he fills the air, the space, the land, and the sea. And they correspond. The six days correspond in the book of Genesis. These seven churches are similar. The, uh, the first church and the seventh church correspond. The second church and the sixth church correspond. Remember, the uh, first and the last churches are in danger of not being churches anymore. Uh, the second and the sixth are, in, um, are healthy, and the three in the middle are compromising churches. They have that in common. And so that being said, um, it, it, the literary form says something about the state of the church then And if you would uh, believe as I do, maybe something about the church today. And we're speaking specifically today in application, not only to Maisel Baptist Church, but the American church culture. Uh, No doubt you see the boundaries of this literary form. These churches are in danger, but the very core are compromising. And at the very best, the minority of churches are healthy. And so today, as we examine our church and we examine ourselves, um, this really is judgment. What I've been struggling with, even this morning, is the attitude in which to preach this text or in these these passages. Because as many of your Bibles, this is red letter. 
And this is judgment upon these churches. We'll see one of the things that all these letters have in common is Jesus said, these things I know about you. This is an x-ray of these churches and even our church today and even ourselves. Me and Pastor Shane and a few of the other pastors, uh, we were privileged to go to Atlanta to hear John MacArthur preach at a pastor's conference. And uh, I was uh, grateful to be able to hear him before he goes to be with the Lord. And one thing John said, uh, MacArthur, the pastor, he said, uh, no doubt America is under God's judgment. He went to Romans 1, and he said, in Romans 1, the Bible says, when God judges a nation, he gives them over to certain things. And the first being idolatry, out of worship. You don't have to look too far in America for that. He said the next is homosexuality. Don't have to look very far to that and, and lesbianism and those things. And the next thing in Romans 1 is a reprobate mind. What's more reprobate than a person not knowing their gender? We see that in our country today. But however, something John did not say that I thought of even when he was preaching is 1 Peter chapter 4 where Peter says, judgment first starts in the house of God. And um, that being said, and I, I pray that that's what this text is. And so that being said, I pray you that you judge yourself. Answer this question. What if every church member was a church member like you? What if every Christian was a Christian like you? What if every church member served Maisel Baptist Church the way you serve it? What if every church member gave financially the way you give? What if every church member attended like you attend? Let judgment first start in the house of God. Amen. Let us read this text and may the Lord uh, write its contents on our heart this morning. The angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. Real quickly, I just want to point out three things just in those first two verses that all of these letters have in common. All of these churches have angels. And we'll speak a little bit about that. Do churches have angels, guardian angels? What's he talking about? We'll get there. Um, and, and all of these are written to a church. Church, as we'll get into, means assembly. It means when people come together. And there are more characteristics of that that we'll define here shortly. And it says, these things who he who holds the seven Stars, as soon as they're written to an angel, to a church, then there is a confession or an affirmation about characteristics of Jesus. All of these letters, as you'll see, is we're just going to read three of these letters to the churches, followed by, verse 2, I know your works, things that Jesus knows. Then the situation is addressed. Then an opportunity to repent is given. And then a promise to those who do overcome and repent and pers uh, persevere in the faith. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. That you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place." Unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, there's one letter. Here's the letter to the second church. And notice similar qualities. To the angel, there we go again, to the church, those people in Samurda, those people who assemble together, all right, um, there in Smyrna, right? These things says the first and last. Here's the affirmation about the characteristics of Jesus, who was dead and came to life. And then here we go again in verse 9. I know your works. You see a pattern. Tribulation and poverty. Remember, this is one of the two healthy churches in the seven. I know your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You see some of the similar things. Uh, uh, be faithful and then a promise to those who are. Okay, last letter we'll look at in its uh, entirety. 
And to the angel, here we go, an angel again, to the church at uh, Pergamos, write, these things says he, who is he? Here's the confession of Christ, who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works. Here we go again. He knows. And where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and did not deny my faith even in the days of which Antipas was a faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have uh, there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This is one of the three compromising churches, you see, because they have this doctrine that they're letting run rampant, this sexual immorality run rampant in their church. Verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, uh, which no one knows except him who receives it. May the Lord honor the reading of his word. So let us just point out a couple characteristics this morning and think on a couple characteristics that these church have in common. Uh, first, um, these angels. What, what's he talking about, these angels? Well, uh, before, I know we're in the book of Revelation, before you see Apache helicopters and atom bombs and all those things in there, wait just a second, uh, he actually is going to tell us what they are. Just flat out tell you, isn't that, a, isn't that a blessing? Well, let's go to chapter 1 to see it first. In chapter 1, if you'll turn to verse 12... Here, John has a vision. He's brought up on the Lord's Day, Sunday. Um, and he's brought up in verse 12, and he sees a vision of Jesus. Let's read it. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. What are those? We'll see. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, Jesus, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a uh, furnace. His voice was the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet dead, but he, uh, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I live forevermore. Didn't we just sing that? Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write these things down which you seen and which things are, and the things which are soon to take place, or the things which will take place after this. Here he explains the mystery in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand. The seven golden lampstands. Here it is. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So he sees a vision. And in this vision is Jesus standing. And he's standing around these seven lampstands. And in his right hand are these stars. And out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword. And he says the stars are the angels of the churches. Uh, The word angel just means messenger. In Mark chapter 1, verse 2, John the Baptist is called a messenger. Uh, see, a messenger is one who doesn't have authority to speak of his own. He must speak of what has been told him to pass along. Uh, and who are these stars? Well, it's the pastors of these churches. It's the one preaching the word to these churches. It's the leader of these local churches. Doesn't that make sense? To the messenger at the church of Smyrna, to the messenger at the church of Pergamon, to the messenger, to the preacher, to the one who expounds the word, the one who's going to pass this message on to the church at Ephesus. And and you see how this works, this angel, and and it says to the word, right? All of these are words from Jesus. And as this double-edged sword, right? We all got that. Good Christians who know your Bible, right? Uh, The word of God is like a double-edged sword, quick, powerful, active, cutting even to the bone and between the marrow, right? So how does Jesus speak to the lampstands, to the churches around him? Well, when he speaks, he holds the stars, he holds the angels in his hands. Do you see? That's gospel authority. When a preacher stands and preaches the word, what happens is Jesus is holding them as he speaks through them to the people. And what happens when that takes place? Well, when that happens, it's like the Revelations once said, it's like rushing waters. 
What should church be like on Sunday morning when the word is preached? It should be as though you and I are standing at the bottom of Niagara Falls and as if they had gates on the thing, they let the gates open and here comes the mighty rushing water to fill in every gap. That's what church is on Sunday morning. That's one of the characteristics of a biblical local church is that the word of God is expounded. You see, um, and what is so amazing is, is it, and how, how does that happen? That only happens when the pastor, and I'm thankful ours does this, is under the word. And he preaches from the Bible, and it's what the Bible says. And when it comes from him, he is underneath, and it comes from him to the people. That's what happens at a biblical local church. Um, you see, that is quite different than a small group. You see, why is a small group not a church? Because in a small group, you're all sitting around. Uh, even in our small groups on campus today, you'll sit around, you'll hear someone teach, you'll talk about it. You'll discuss it. You'll say, I disagree, or I agree. I don't know, what do you think about that? We'll have conversations. But you see, that doesn't happen when the Word of God is preached. A church, a local church, is when the Word comes down. When the Word comes to the people, you see. The Word comes down, and you don't get a chance to ask questions. It just is. <laughs> It just is. It's the Word of God. That, that's what happens in a biblical local church. Do you see that in the text? That's what happens. That's the difference between... Um, I've seen a movement, um, Church 12 Stone. They have a new um, growth idea, and the idea is that their small groups will become churches, and they're in homes. Well, do you see, that's never going to be Maysville, um, as far as I'm concerned, I believe as far as Pastor Shane's concerned. It's never going to be our growth strategy. Hey. Because a local, uh, a, a small group that meets around a home discuss the Bible, it's just a Bible study. Right. It's not the church. Because hey. there's no expounding of the word coming down to the people. Do you see the difference there? Yes. Now, um, that's vastly different than how most people see church. Hey. And I dare say even some people visiting this morning, the way most people see it in most churches across America. The way most people see church in America is a show that you come and see. It's a performance that you see these guys singing, and you like the music, so you pick that church. It's a, it's, a, it's a funny preacher. It's an inspirational talk that makes you feel good, you see. And it's man-centered. Well, that's the church you like to go to. You see, that's vastly different than the biblical description of the characteristics of a local church. It's when the Word of God comes down to the people. Right. So I would say first, that's what we should notice in the text. Um, you see, what is this here? What is going on as Jesus is, as John is writing this, he has given it to these messengers, these angels of the church. And what is he expecting to happen? That when they assemble, when the church assembles together, uh, he will read this letter to the people. And they did that one time. Do you see where we're going with this one service thing? They didn't have multiple times they got together to read it. Uh, they were to read it together when they assembled. And the messenger would read it to the people. At one time. See, what is happening is the king, the sovereign king, this, is, this was normal in that day. It's not normal in our day because we don't have kings and queens anymore. Well, they do in England, but it really doesn't even work like that, does it? Have parliament and that kind of thing. But what has happened, this is a royal edict. See, in those days when a king would send out a message, he would send a herald that would go to the town and he would gather the people, say, come and hear, and the herald would get up and read or say what the king said to the subjects of that nation. To that king's subjects. That's what happened in here. You see, the king of kings has sent heralds and messengers to proclaim the message, church in Ephesus, Pergamon, all these churches to come and declare to the king's subjects what he says and what he demands and what he uh, gives to the people. Um, that is, once again, vastly different than what most people think of what church is. And do you see what, think of this, you see, we do, the church does have characteristics of a club. We have positions, we have leadership, we come together in common interests. Many people see the church as some kind of business transaction, if you will. There are transactions that take place in the church, but um, it, and some people, like I said earlier, see it as a theater. It's a performance that they come and see, and they, they like to watch, and they like to hear the preacher, and they like to see the music. But you see, we have characteristics of that. We do have music, don't we? We do have someone speaking. But do you see that a church has something that a business, a club, and a theater don't have? A king. A king, a king who speaks to his subjects, a king who demands things, a king who says, don't forsake the assembly of one another, because when they assemble, the king speaks to the people through the herald, you see. So the first thing I will notice is how these angels are given word from the king in heaven, 
to speak to the people. Uh, next, you see these confessions. And after the angel, if you look to chapter 2 and verse 1, the angel of the church, he wrote to Ephesus. And then these things says, these are the words of Jesus as we spoke about, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. You could go through all these texts and there are confessions of Jesus. What is something that unites the church? One of many things, but the most important thing is who we confess Jesus is. What we say about Jesus Christ. What we agree about Jesus Christ. Uh, if you gotta, let's turn your Bibles to Matthew 16. And as I said, you could go through every one of these seven letters and you can see the confession, the attributes of Jesus that are announced to this church. A highly contentious text, but I believe, I pray this morning that you'll see what Jesus is starting as he begins his church in Matthew 16, as he lays the foundation for his church in Matthew 16. In verse 13, Jesus said, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? The son of man. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So who do they say I am? They asked. Then he asked them in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He confessed. He made a confession. This Messiah is this idea of the son of David, this king figure, this one who would come and rule his people. Verse 17, Jesus answered and he said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What is Jesus doing? He's affirming this confession. You got it right. That's the right answer. And you didn't figure that out by yourself, Peter. The Father in heaven gave you that. He revealed that to you. Verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is going on there? We'll see what has happened in the text. Peter has made a confession about the reality of who Jesus is. Christology, the study of Christ. He has made a right uh, confession. He is... The Christ, the Son, he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus affirms that. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, I'm going to build my church, and I'm giving you the authority to do it. How? Just what Jesus just did. You see, he's going to tell him here, he's going to tell the apostles in Matthew 28, 19, all authority on heaven and earth is mine, therefore go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's saying, Peter, apostles, I'm giving you the authority to go make a new community that carries my authority, that carries with it, it represents, it speaks for the kingdom of heaven. And how do you do that? I'm giving you keys to do it. What are those keys? What do keys do? Well, they open, they shut things. Even the Old Testament, that's what they meant. But he doesn't say open and shut, does he? He says loose and bind. And how, does, how is Peter the apostles, this new community, how are they to loose and bind? Based on confession. Do you see what uh, Jesus just did for Peter? He said, who do you say that I am? What's your confession about Jesus? He said, that's right. You got it right, Peter. So how does the apostles, how are they to set up this new kingdom based on the confession that you have about Jesus Christ? That's how they have the authority. Did you see how, do you, you know what you have to do to become a member of Maysville Baptist Church? You don't just get to come and sign up. You have to go through our membership class and you have to define for us who is Jesus. What is the gospel? Give us your testimony. And then the leaders, the pastors of the church, we have the keys, rightly understood, to say yes, based on your confession, not on our own authority, but based on the Bible to say, yes, Steve, you got it right. That's the gospel. You're a Christian. We believe. Or no, you got it wrong. You're not ready to be a member because you don't have the gospel yet. Do you see? That's what Jesus is setting up here. You see, what is a local church? A local church is when people are gathered together. To hear the word of God, come down from above, from the word of God, to come down to the people. And when the people assemble together, they have the keys to bind and to loosen, to accept or deny confessions about Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, after all, we are Baptists. 
Go, therefore, and baptize in the name of the Father. Next, next hour, we have two baptisms. Hey. Praise the Lord. What are we going to do when we're not baptized, those two, God willing? We're going to say we affirm as a church that your confession of Jesus is right. Hey. Therefore, we will baptize you and say that now you get to wear the uh, name tag of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you know there are certain people we have denied baptism hey. because they don't have the gospel. They don't understand it yet. They haven't got it yet. And that's okay. We pray and we help them get there. That's our heart, right? You see, but you say, uh, some of you that just didn't sit right with, did it? That interpretation of that text didn't sit right. And maybe you'd say, well, because that's not loving, Pastor Chris. For you, who are you to save somebody's in or out? Well, all those are good objections. Uh, you may say, you know, well, the Bible says you're saved by faith. Faith alone, right? By grace through faith alone. Not on the church saying you're a Christian or not. And I agree with you. We're not saved by the ch a church affirming you or anything like that. But get this. Uh, the church, is, do you understand? The king speaks. He sets up his kingdom. We represent the kingdom. Um, and, and do you understand you, you understand that? We're like an embassy for heaven on earth. We represent heaven's, uh, what heaven wants to say on earth. That's what Christians do when the church gathers. That's what the church does. And, and therefore, um, when a, a person uh, makes a confession of Jesus, we have, uh, we believe, uh, to look and with love and to say either, uh, yes, heaven affirms by the gospel or it doesn't affirm that. We speak together. Um, you see, uh, if you were in another country, we're planning on a mission trip here soon, God willing. If we go to another country, uh, and let's say Chris is, you can ask my wife, he loses a lot of things. And I was to lose my passport. And I was to go to an embassy there in another country and say, hey, I've lost my passport. What would the embassy, uh, um, the American embassy in another country do? Uh, they would go with their computer, they would look it up, and they would say, all right, yeah, you're, you're a citizen, we'll give you another passport. You see, the embassy doesn't have the right to make me a citizen, but the embassy does have the right to affirm that I am a citizen, you see. And that's how the church, uh, that's the authority that we have to affirm or deny someone's citizenship in the kingdom of God. And you might say, well, I don't need anyone to tell me that I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer after all. Well, you may have. But you see, you don't have the authority in the Bible to proclaim yourself to be a Christian. What's the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't baptize yourself. Do you see how Jesus set this thing up? And one way that may not sit right with you is because uh, you may misunderstand love. Today, love in our culture, today, love says, accept me as I am. Tolerate whatever I say or think without condemning it. In fact, loving me means more than just accepting a person as they are. It means accepting and affirming their lifestyle decisions as legitimate and good. We in the West define love as self-expression or love as consumer satisfaction. Love as size matters. Love as commitmentless. Love as whatever works for you. Love in our day says, I know that you love me when you let me be myself or express myself or be the best person I can be. I love you by allowing you to do the same. So Americans tend to describe churches as loving when those churches make us feel relaxed and comfortable, not judged. We can be ourselves there. Non-judgmentalism is important in our friendships too today. I know she loves me. I know she's my friend because she doesn't judge me. I can be real with her. But when really all this is what John Popper, when he says, we call it love when people make much of us. But friend, let me tell you what is unloving. It is unloving for a church and its leaders to tell someone who is not a Christian that they are. It is unloving for a church and its leaders to allow people living in sinful lifestyles to still be members of a local church. Why does the church have to operate like this? Why, why is the church a place where the word of God comes and a place where it affirms and denies membership? Why must it act like that? Did you hear what, Peter, what Jesus said to Peter? The gates of hell will not overcome it. What is that saying about the church? Well, for one, that the church will be victorious, but two, that the church is planted in enemy territory. 
You see, the church is in. Um, go with me back to Revelation real quick. I hope you kept a thumbnail. Go there real fast. I want to just point out some things in the text. One other thing that all these have in common. It speaks uh, in chapter 2, verse 1 of the Nicolaitans in verse 6. In chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, talking about this Jewish synagogue, it says, but at the end of verse 9, but are a synagogue of Satan. Uh, look down in verse 13. Um, who at the end of verse 13, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Uh, look at verse 24. Now to you I say unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as you do not have this doctrine, who have known the depths of Satan. All right, look down in chapter 3 and look in verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Do you see the church must expect satanic attack? Why? Because the church is built in enemy territory. We, even Mayberry Maysville is enemy territory. And we are the light in this community. We represent the kingdom of God here in this community. We represent God to this community. And we must recognize, church, that we are in enemy territory. And John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress in the very early chapters, as Christian has just had his burden rolled away, and as Christian goes up the hill difficult, and as he crawls up that hill, he hears from two other journeys that there are lions on the loose, and that these lions, of course, go and seek who they can devour, and Christian is scared. But soon as he crosses the hill and he sees the lions, he looks and he sees the palace beautiful, which in Bunyan's description is the church. See, the lions are close to the church. You see, the church is in satanic opposition. But you see in these letters, he teaches all the, he points out all these false teachers. And those false teachers are not only outside the church, Satan's at, but they're also inside the church. What is Jesus expecting will happen when these pastors get these letters? They will read these letters, and those in the church who are false teachers, who are members of Satan, they will hear those, and they will be condemned and rebuked in the assembly. Do you see? So what is a local church? Um, I wrote this. Um, Therefore, when a local body of confessors in Christ assembles to hear the word of God and affirm or deny, bind or loose through the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and therefore membership, that is a local church. Do you see how different that is than coming in and listening to a performance or hearing an inspirational speaker or getting to feel oh jolly and good and going home? Do you see how different a biblical local church is than that? You've heard it said, we are the church gathered. You've heard this before. And then when we leave, we're the church scattered. Now, there's a sentiment of that which is right. I mean, that, that is good, right? To go be the church, go be the body of Christ outside these walls? Absolutely. But overall, that statement is not theologically correct. The church is only the church when we come together to hear the word of God from the angel of the Lord, the pastor, down to the people. That's the church when we assemble. Do you see why we want to assemble once? Do you see how if you're watching online, you're not part of the church because you're not here? Do you see that? Because the assembly, right, you see that. When they come together, they hear the word, and they affirm and deny confessions. Because if you're online, we can't affirm or deny you. We don't know how your life is living. We don't know because you're not here. Do you see? Do you see that? Do you see how we want our members to be faithful and how Jesus, the king, says, don't forsake the assembly of believers? Did you know something that we were just looking at statistics in our own church family? Listen. The average church member in our church before COVID came twice a month. Today it's once a month in our church. How can we live together? How can we affirm each other's faith and encourage one another to persevere? How can we do that if we only show up once a month? You understand this. Your family during COVID, you, maybe you quit having family get-togethers, family gatherings. Did you feel like a family? Church, how can we be a family if we're not together? How can we be a biblical congregation if we're not together, if you're not here? You see, the tendency is to isolate. Everyone's tendency is to do that. That's why many of us love COVID, because we got to isolate. But you see, God knows that. The king knows that's our tendency. So why he, he commands us, don't forsake the assembly of one another, which is many, of, uh, many people is what they do, he says. 
We must encourage one another while the day approaches. Hebrews says. You see, overall, what I'm trying to say is the church gathers together around hearing from the word of God and confession about Jesus Christ. And that's what gets someone in the church or not. That's what determines their confession of Christ. And that's affirmed by the ordinances of the Lord's Supper. Um, I have to tell you, I had a... Uh, we were at the fall festival, me and Chris Kersey and Emily Kersey. We were trying to have gospel conversations. Man, he blessed us. We had to have a bunch of gospel conversations. And one of them, though, broke my heart. A man came by. He was helping another booth. And they were doing, selling toys and different things they had handmade for a, a missionary in Haiti. He come by, an older gentleman. I was talking to him. I said, hey, what's going on over there? He was telling me all they were doing. I said, that's awesome. Uh, where do you go to church at? I go to a Methodist church in Gainesville, and he was telling me all about it. He's a deacon there. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, you know, we're trying to just try out here trying to share the gospel. Uh, yeah, and I just say, hey, one of the questions we ask is, um, and, you know, if you were to die today, how do you know that you'd go to heaven? In your opinion, key question, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And he says, well, I mean, you, right from his mouth. Well, I mean, that's what we're out here doing. You got to do good deeds. You, you got you to help others, and, and that's how you'll get there. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. And then my next question was, well, how do you know that enough good deeds are good enough? How do you ever know that you, you'll, you'll be doing enough fundraising? You'll be doing enough good things? He says, well, you just have to know. What is that leaving out of it? Jesus. The gospel entirely, do you see? That's what the church is about. That's what we confirm together. That's what we affirm. That's what we confess. That's what we rally around is Jesus. Uh, the last thing I want to see in the text is uh, another occurring theme throughout these letters is Jesus' instruction and encouragement to persevere. To persevere. Uh, look in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, and you have persevered and have patience. At the end of the verse, you have not become weary. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse uh, 10. At the end of the verse, the last sentence of that verse, be faithful until death. Verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name. Look in verse 25, but hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my work until the end. Look in verse 3, remember therefore how you received and heard, hold fast and repent. Look in verse uh, 10 of chapter 3. Because you have kept my commandment to persevere. Verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast. Every one of these letters. Persevere, persevere, persevere. Um, there's only one way for the people in these churches to not persevere. I pray you hear me here. There's only one way that they would not persevere in the faith. And that was to leave one of these churches. Persecution is coming. You see all that throughout the letter. You're about to be persecuted. You're about to be put in jail. You might be killed for your faith. The martyr who died. There's only one way for those people to escape martyrdom, uh, prison, and persecution. One way. You know what that is? Leave the church. That's all they had to do. If they didn't come to the assembly, they didn't come to hear the word of God and affirm and deny people into its membership through the ordinances, they didn't do that, they would escape persecution. Do you see why that is? Because being a member of a local church is identifying with Christ, identifying with his kingdom. So all they had to do is therefore not show up, and they would escape persecution altogether. Now, um, that flies in the face of a couple of things we hear today. I can have church at the lake or in the deer stand. Oh, I love Jesus, just not the church that much. Oh, I'm not a member, but I go there. Or I can be a Christian and not go to church. Friend, listen to me. If you say those things, I can be a Christian and not go to church. I can just visit that church and not be a member, not identify with that local body. I'm not just talking about Maze, I'm talking about any local church. Listen, the Bible has no category for you. People say, well, church membership is not in the Bible. My uh, objection to that is, where is it not in the New Testament? Where is it not? It is so assumed all throughout the New Testament that if you are a Christian, you are a part of the body of Christ. Why? Because you're born again. You're born into a family. When you become a Christian, you're a sheep, and sheep belong to flock. 
You see, it's just assumed that if you're a nation, if you're a citizen of heaven, that you identify with the kingdom here on earth at a local church. There is, uh, there is no category for an, a Lone Ranger Christian who isn't part of a church in the New Testament. That, that idea is not biblical. Not biblical. So today, if you just have that idea, well, I just attend Maysville. I'm not a member there. I don't identify with those people. You're not living a biblical Christian life. And I must hurry here. Um, let me just say, uh, let me read this. It's, it's worth reading. Uh, this was from Jonathan Lehman on his book on church membership. Um, Christians um, that must understand there must be um, a link between doctrine and practice. Christians profess belief in the gospel. Their symbolic burial and resurrections from the water of baptism indicate that they mean to take up their crosses and follow the Lord. But the very ethic of their commitmentless love does not provide them with the opportunity to fulfill these professions with their actions. These sheep are poorly taught and so influenced by the secular culture's commitmentless conceptions of love that that a man's conscience is barely triggered, if at all, when he turns to his wife and he says, Honey, I'm tired of this church. Let's look elsewhere. As she quickly agrees and they lightly depart, they fail to recognize their breach of the new commandment Christ gave to the church. Love one another as I have loved you. Even though they may affirm this, command, this commandment in their minds, the world at large then looks to the Christian church and hears about Christ's love, but it sees nothing different from what it already knows. Because our commitments to one another are cheap and easy. So why would the non-Christian bother? Unless we entertain them, right? Do you see? We in America have this idea of love as though it's just this passion, this erotic feelings and high emotional, and that's love. But we, we miss the very key characteristics of what love really is. Faithfulness, loyalty, commitment. That's what love really is. That's what love really is. And the emotions and, and feelings, they come from those commitments and those things. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But why do we fail to apply that definition of love to the local church and its membership? When we do, a couple of things happen. Can I tell you, when we fail to understand biblical love and apply it to the... Uh, you see what biblical love is? It's perseverance. Jesus says, if you love me, persevere, church. Persevere, persevere to the end. Persevere to the end. That's how you'll show that you love. That's how you'll show the outside world. There's a couple of things that happen in, in, church, in American church culture, in our church, when we miss that. One, uh, spiritual gift tests become very popular. Nothing wrong with spiritual gift tests. I like them. But when they become popular so that people can see what their gifts are so that they can be satisfied and serve a way that satisfies them and never ask the questions, what does the church need? What, what, what are battle lines in the church that need to be shored up? Never ask those questions. Just how can I be fulfilled in my service? How can I be satisfied? Do you see how anti-Christian that sentiment is? Um, I want to be, if you're one of the 200 people that have asked me this in the last six months, please forgive me, but um, I, I want to find a small group of people just like me. Why? Because when we're around people who are just like us, we feel loved. People going through this, we feel loved. And never ask, are there older people I can learn from? Or are there younger people I can disciple? Do you see the difference? When we miss love, we also misrepresent our presentation of the gospel. It becomes man-centered because it's entertainment. It's what can man get out of it. We, we even take texts in the Bible and twist them so it'll be centered around man. Revelation chapter 3 to the church in Laodicea. You remember, I stand at the door and knock. Um, well, how do you, have you ever heard that used? Uh, Jesus is knocking on your heart. That's better. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the story? Um, I think it's Acts 9. When Paul is on his horse to Damascus to persecute the Christians, and Jesus is knocking on his heart. No, he kicked it over. He knocked him off the horse. You remember the story? Can I tell you how to, one way to tell if your conversion is true or not? Not did Jesus knock on your heart, but did he knock you over? Did he so radically change your life? Did he knock you completely over? That's the Christian gospel. Why does he do it like that? Well, he doesn't knock on his heart. Why? He does it like that. He knocks us over. He brings us from death to life because the glory in the gospel is about him, not us. Do you see the difference? 
Why do we preach the gospel like that so many times? Because it's man-centered, what man can get out of it. I know. There's other things that accompany these things. Um, we can, another thing when we miss love is that we have membership roles that are two or three times the number of people that actually attend on a Sunday morning. Do you know, and that's true of our church. Break your heart to know of how many members we actually have and how many people actually show up on a Sunday morning. Why? Where's the love? Well, I love, oh, pastor, it's nothing against you. I love you. Where have you been the last six years? You ain't been here before COVID. What happened? But you love me. You love the church. You see, a lot of times the church will rally and we'll have a message. If you're living together and you're not married, that's sin. Well, tell me the difference between that and attending a local body of church but not willing to join it. Then we have an idea that a person sitting on a laptop and, and wherever can have church all by themselves and watch the church service. Why? Because it's, if it's you, we'll tailor it just to you, Right? You can have a laptop and your coffee and all that and just have church all by yourself. Now, I understand. COVID, thank God for the technology we have during COVID to help us. But not let none of us think that that is a substitute for what a biblical local church is. Say, Chris, you're just preaching to the choir. I know. But I hope this choir isn't like me that is quick to forget. We want options. People want options. So what do we do? We give them six different services they can choose on a Sunday morning, even a Saturday night or a Friday night or a Saturday night church service. They can attend any of them that fit. What really matters about what the Bible actually says about the Lord's Day and the Sabbath and coming together as one assembly, I don't worry about that. What do you want? You want options, don't you? Let us give you options. In the name of the game in many churches today, it's the phrase, your way right away. Products are not built to last. Different things in the church are planned and executed and expected to stop at some point. A successful church service is one that produces a spiritual higher, mountaintop experience. Growth is counted through decisions made, not through long obedience in the same direction. Statistics and other short-term measures are all important. When the number starts to dip on the Sigmund curve, ratchet up the program in order to yield another spurt of growth. Virtues like holiness, self-sacrifice, and faith can't be counted, so never mind. You see, what the modern church says is, if you can't see it tangibly, don't worry about it. But you can't see self-sacrifice, can you? You can't see uh, humility. You can't see serving one another. That's what the church is, you see. You can't see Melvin Ingram showing up at a neighbor's house whose attic uh, thing coming down don't work, so he just comes over and fixes it. Can't, can't number that. Uh, I don't care about uh, Stanley uh, and, and Joyce Martin showing up to help someone whose wells went out to fix it, show up at the church, anything that's needed. Uh, you, you can't measure that, so don't worry about it. Um, Pastor David, one of the many things he taught me, and, and, but this one I've thought of much, God is not going to give us more births than we're willing to raise. And the question I've always pondered is, what are we raising them to? Are we pointing them to obedience in a long direction? Or are we pointing them to something else, some kind of emotional high, some kind of theater performance? What kind of disciples are we making? That's what I wonder. One of the things that excites me in many of our small groups on campus and off campus, but one, Cassie and Patrick Wartman's, there's, they're, um, the, the couples in that group, they're having so many kids now. We're trying to figure out how to expand the nursery, but um, we're, we're, you can't separate them. They do everything together. They live life together. You see, they have stories about how they serve one another, how they love one another. Listen to me, church, if you don't have that in this local body, you're missing out. Do you see what the local body does together? It preserves each other together. It goes with each other through life. It's committed to one another through life. You see, what we see so often is when people don't like just this little thing in church, they leave. Oh, I just didn't like this little thing. They're not committed at all. Not committed at all. 
When the idea of a binding commitment is removed from the definition of love, churches become places where personal sacrifice are seldom made, so the gospel is seldom pictured. Instead, individuals will come and go. They church hop with little care. They join churches lightly and they exit lightly, since doing so does not violate their sense of love and its obligations. They don't stop to weigh the consequences of their departure on others. They don't feel the weight of their responsibility to others. They don't discuss the reasons for leaving with the pastors. They just go. They take their purchase back to the checkout counter. It's nothing personal. All in all, they ask little of others and give little in return. Here's what we hear way too often. Pastor, we're leaving the church, but it's nothing personal. But here's the thing, church. To the leaders and the pastors of this church, it is personal. Because we see you as our family. We see you as our people. You leave this place, it breaks our heart. We get together and cry over it. And we talk about it for weeks. Because we dearly love you. That's a biblical local church. And I'll just be honest with you. I didn't have that before I came here. I'd never seen that before I come here and learned it from Pastor Shane. That's vastly different than finding a church that fits all of your needs. That's vastly different than a biblical local church. There's one more thing that is in all of these letters. An opportunity to repent. An opportunity to repent. I don't know what the word of the Lord spoke to you this morning. Maybe you're a member of Maisel Baptist Church and you haven't been faithful. You haven't been committed. What if every church member at Maisel Baptist Church was a church member like you? Maybe you've watched online and you're not attending. There's nothing holding you back from it. But you're not. You've forsaken the assembly. Maybe it's time to repent and commit to be here next Sunday. Commit to this body. I don't know how the Lord spoke to you in this or how he has talked to you, but I pray that you would repent. Why? So that you would persevere in the faith, that we can help encourage you in the faith and affirm you in the faith and help you along. One another. Maybe as you, this morning, if you really examine yourself, maybe one of the reasons you've never wanted to join a local church is maybe because you don't know Christ. Maybe, he is, maybe he's knocked on your door. Maybe you've had a bad taco one time and you thought he was speaking to you. But maybe right now, He's crashing your life. Maybe he is making you brand new. And for some reason, you feel persuaded about this Jesus thing. You think what we sung about Jesus raising the dead, that he really did raise from the dead, that he is alive, that he is the king, and that he speaks through his word, and he's speaking to you, and he's changing your life. And you're persuaded that this is true, and that you want to be part of the local church, and the gospel is the truth. If you're persuaded of that, the Bible says you need to profess your faith. Need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Won't you come? Submit to baptism. Won't you come? Submit to church membership. Won't you come and repent? Church, I'll be the first one to meet you at the altar. Let us pray. Father, Lord, your word is sharp. Your word is like a double-edged sword. Lord, this message has been hard all week in my heart. But Lord, thank you that you do speak to us, and I pray that your word has been clear. Lord, I pray this morning that with humility and grace, that we would love one another, we would encourage one another, that these words would come across with the same attitude of the gospel, that where sin abound, grace did much more abound. And if that if we repent and turn to you, you are just and faithful to forgive us of all of our sins. Would you help us in Christ's name? Amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia 30558. God bless you and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.